Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 7th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Bo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, we discussed a bit of it on yesterday's pod. We'll talk more about it today. But we're really starting to feel that air quality uh, really start to diminish here in the Northeast. Yeah, and it has to do with those wildfires in Canada. Just showing that we're all kind of in this together, even though you think that there might be a disaster that's hundreds of miles away from you. It's one globe, one earth, not to be too preachy, but we'll, of course, get into it a little bit more at the end of the podcast. But uh, fair warning, if you're in the Northeast and you don't need to be outside, don't be outside these next couple of days. Mosh, you will not be in the Northeast because you're heading overseas, right? Yeah, I'll be traveling tomorrow. Jill, I think you have a special guest lined up on the podcast, and then I'll be back on the pod on Friday. Yeah, very excited. Don't want to give anything away. Um, but safe travels, as always. We'll miss you when you're gone, but I hope to make you proud, Mosh. Jill, you always make me proud. You make me proud every day. Uh, but I, I, I look forward to being back on Friday for what we're eating, watching, and uh, reading this weekend. All right, let's get to some headlines here. What is being called a humanitarian and ecological catastrophe? A massive dam in Ukraine has collapsed. Who is behind it and what happens now? A hearing Tuesday on Capitol Hill about the future of AM radio in cars And Mosh, this is one of the rare instances where we have some of the most progressive Democrats and conservative Republicans agreeing on something. Yeah, we'll have that as well as traffic and weather on the nines for you. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Chris Christie has officially entered the race for the White House. Another one. (laughs) Prince Harry takes the stand overseas in a trial against the British media. Some of the bombshells from day one of testimony... In a stunning move, the PGA Tour agrees to merge with its Saudi-backed rival, Live Golf. We'll have who's happy about it, who's mad about it, and who got rich off the entire thing. (laughs) And the continuing impact of the wildfires on air quality across America. And one mom's viral email signature and why it is getting so much buzz. Plus, Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, a historic Supreme Court decision and the 40th birthday for one of my favorite movies, Trading Places. Merry New Year. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right, let's start overseas in Ukraine, where a major dam in southern Ukraine collapsed on Tuesday. The U.N. Secretary General is calling it a monumental humanitarian, economic and ecological catastrophe. It left villages flooded, endangering crops in the country's breadbasket. And it's also threatening the drinking water. About 40,000 people could be in the path of the flooding. So this dam is located along the Dnepro River. That area is currently held by Russian forces. So who is responsible here? Well, it's not immediately clear. At this point, both Russia and Ukraine are blaming each other. Ukrainian President Zelensky says that it was Russian terrorists, with officials saying that Russia caused an explosion at the facility. Zelensky calls it, quote, the largest man-made environmental disaster in Europe in decades Meanwhile, Russia says that it is a sabotage attack on the part of Ukrainian forces. At this point, according to the AP, it is not possible to reconcile the opposing takes. Either way, the effects are devastating. For one, the water is still gushing through this broken dam, whose reservoir is one of the biggest in the world. Now, by comparison, it holds back the equivalent amount of water 
to the Great Salt Lake in Utah. And that water in part is used to cool reactors and spent fuel at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, one of the biggest in Europe. As of now, the IAEA says there was no immediate nuclear safety risk, but that it is closely monitoring the situation. The New York Times describes the scene, they say, as water levels rose south of the dam, residents in a town about 40 miles downstream described watching in horror as roiling floodwaters swept past, carrying trees and debris from washed out houses. It's a little bit more difficult to assess what's happening in the area that's under Russian control. But either way, uh, pretty catastrophic here, Mosh. Yeah, both sides, uh, the Russian side, the Russian occupied side, as well as the Ukrainian side have brought in trains and buses to move residents to safety. About 25,000 people in the Russian controlled areas have been evacuated. About 17,000 on the Ukrainian side um, have been evacuated. The timing here is important. The disaster comes one day after American and Russian officials said a planned Ukrainian counteroffensive might have begun on the east side of the Dnipro River in that region. Although the dam is far from the fighting, the destruction could divert both sides' attention and resources from the counteroffensive. Throughout the war, both sides have been claiming the other was going to destroy the dam. This, there are six major dams in Ukraine, uh, most of them under control of the Ukrainians, this one under control of the Russians, again, leading to the finger pointing here, because there's a whole bunch of Russian territory, Russian occupied territory, I should say, impacted by this. At the same time, uh, the Ukrainians have a point here just pointing to the amount of damage and destruction the Russians have done to the country over the course of the past year and a half or so. Humanitarian groups are just arriving to provide support right now. They held an emergency meeting in Kyiv. Uh, Zelensky and his team did trying to get generators, mobile water treatment plants, water trucks, other equipment on the way. Uh, the pictures are just catastrophic. Jill seeing uh, the families trying to get through the waters as this uh, the dam water continues to flow south. Uh, also, uh, a lot of animals impacted by this. And as you mentioned, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. So a lot of farmland uh, impacted here. Okay, back here in the United States, Moshe, there's very little that Republicans and Democrats agree on. But we may have found something here at Mo News. It is the importance of AM radios in cars. So we have that. We have that, everybody. Uh, They are now looking to pass the, quote, AM for Every Vehicle Act, which requires every new car to include AM radio at no additional cost. And this was the subject of a hearing on Tuesday in Congress. We've talked about this a bit on the podcast. So some automakers have started to drop AM radio from their new models, specifically their electric vehicles. At issue, you've got automakers like BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, Tesla. They have argued that the new electric car batteries interfere with AM transmissions. According to Bloomberg, AM radio is particularly susceptible to disruption because it uses frequencies like those that are emitted by the EV systems, which can overwhelm the radio signal and just make it unintelligible. FM stations operate on different wavelengths. Um, They also say that shielding the radio reception gear would be costly and complex, especially when vehicle users can access AM signals through digital platforms. At Tuesday's hearing, though, lawmakers argued that AM radio is absolutely essential, especially during public emergencies when other alert systems that rely on the electric grid and cell phone networks may be down. I want to play a bit of the testimony from a lieutenant who works for the New Jersey State Police. Uh, He works in emergency management. Here's what he had to say. During the last few years, an uptick in severe weather events 
and forest fires has been concerning, not just in New Jersey, but across the country. At the same time, we have been seeing an increase in cyber crimes, active shooter incidents, and terrorist threats. In the face of this increasing threat scenario, alert and warning is the best tool we have to ensure the safety of our residents and to provide critical information before, during, and after disaster. This can include information needed while individuals are driving during a large-scale evacuation or during a power outage when individuals sit in their car to listen to essential communications. He also mentioned that according to research, a lot of people who use AM radio are 65 and older, which is a group of people that are less likely to use the internet and smartphones, plus rural communities and underserved groups also tend to rely on AM radio a bit more. Yeah, also testifying yesterday, members of the radio and auto manufacturing industries, the other side argues there are plenty of ways these days to get emergency updates, digital radio, satellite radio, um, FM, your cell phone, etc. The Alliance for Automotive Innovation, that's an industry trade group, says that FEMA's emergency warning system can reach people via all those other platforms, and that should be sufficient. The CEO of the Consumer Technology Association argued that a mandate requiring AM reception in cars is just one more thing hindering the introduction of electric cars, uh, You know, basically saying, government, please step off if you really want more electric car adoption. But what you said at the top, Jill, is noteworthy. Uh, this has made for some interesting bedfellows here. You have Ed Markey. He's a senator from Massachusetts, very liberal. You have Ted Cruz from Texas, hardcore conservative. Cruz noted that the two of them actually agree on AM radio. He says, Ed may be the most liberal senator in the Senate. I might be the most conservative senator in the Senate. It's rare that we ever agree on something. But if you look during emergencies, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, AM radio is the most reliable means of communicating with people. Some numbers from Bloomberg here. Uh, as of just a couple decades ago, Jill, half of all radio listening was spent on the AM dial. It has obviously gone down through the years. Uh, though I remember, Jill, even through the early 2000s, until it really became clear that it was easy to get um, satellite radio. You know, I remember growing up in Chicago with 780, a 670, a WBBM news radio, getting the weather and traffic, listening for the news. I know in New York, 1010 wins. You give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. Those of us of a certain generation, I guess, elder millennial and up, will remember uh, AM radio being crucial. And it continues to be important in certain parts of the country. I imagine just given, you know, Ted Cruz and Ed Markey agreeing here and how passionate Congress is, electric car manufacturers are going to have a hard time winning this fight. You know, I still rely on AM radio sometimes, especially for traffic. So if you're at, mm. that's when you need AM radio. Right. Because when you you're see in that the on car. Waze or Google Maps, you're like, why is there a 30 minute delay here? Like you haven't gotten the explanations yet. And, uh, you know, you, you'd like to tune to the traffic reporter on, you know, your local news station for the detours and how bad, you know, what's ahead on the road is. Look, they point to September 11th, Superstorm Sandy, to really catastrophic things that happened in the United States as examples of times when people turn to AM radio. And, and even I think back on land phone lines that a lot of people have done away with, 99.999% of the time, you don't necessarily need them. But um, for those really big emergencies, you might. They might be the only thing that works. Sure. And and by the way, you could argue that, you know, if you're digitally savvy, you can figure it out. Like, I know how to search Twitter and figure out, like, what's happening. But many people don't. Uh, and you want to be able to just turn to that station on in your car uh, and figure out what's going on. So uh, we will keep everyone updated on what takes place here post-hearing. 
But if you're listening to this podcast now, don't turn it off and put on AM radio. Stay with us. We've, we've got we've got 25 minutes left. By the way, Jill, <laughs> we're not against AM radio here uh, for the Modus podcast. Uh, if one of you out there owns an AM radio station, we're happy uh, to have the Modus podcast over there on the AM. It's just another way to reach people. Let's get to some of our sponsors before we get to the speed read. And let's start with one of our new sponsors, Hold On Bags. It is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that make a big impact when it comes to caring for the earth. And it could start with small things, including what type of sandwich or trash bags you use. And we are very happy to be partnering with Hold On. That is one word, Hold On. It is a company that's all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out that they don't need to be 100% plastic, which in most cases cannot be recycled. Hold On trash and kitchen bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We have been using them in our kitchen, and it really feels good to be part Part of the movement away from single-use plastics. They break down in weeks and not centuries. Uh, they are offering a special deal to the Mo News audience to shop plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home. Visit holdonbags.com slash Mo News or enter Mo News at checkout to save 20% off your order. Moshe, I will mention that we have been using Hold On Bags in my house. My husband didn't really know what they were. And after a couple of weeks of using them, he's like, I love these bags. Bags. What what are these? Where did you get them? Because they feel great. <laughs> We're using them as well. And again, there's just so much. The amount of plastic waste we create um, is insane. And you know, if you guys don't know already, most plastic not recyclable. Despite what you may have learned through the years or put in your recycling bin, that plastic does not actually get recycled. Uh, and so that's why it's so great to be using these bags. All right, sustainability has never been more simple. That is hold on bags, H-O-L-D-O-N bags.com slash mo news or enter mo news to receive 20 percent off your order all right now to athletic greens we're talking about health trends and food trends on this podcast we all know how hard it is to get all your nutrients your probiotics all the things that your gut needs on a daily basis one way to try to get all of them though is through athletic greens ag1 powder it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning athletic greens ag1 powder is easy quick it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients including tons of vitamins and minerals it also has pre and probiotics in its mix to support digestion and gut health. The founder of Athletic Greens was having trouble getting all his nutrients, and that is what had led him on this journey to create the AG1 powder. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer, where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for just a month. Again, it is athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from CNN. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has made it official. He filed to run for president on Tuesday ahead of his announcing his second bid for the White House and kicking off another clash with former President Trump, the GOP frontrunner, and a former Christie ally, his Tuesday evening announcement comes a day after fellow GOP moderate Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, opted against running. And less than 24 hours before Vice President Mike Pence officially enters the race, 
I was listening to Mondays with Mosh uh, a couple nights ago where you were uh, talking about Sununu and Wanunu. I had high hopes that Chris Sununu would get in the race just for me to be able to say, wait, how do you pronounce your last name? I'm like, <laughs> like Sununu, it's Wanunu. Unfortunately, Chris Sununu has let me down, but it's okay. I'll keep explaining my last name to people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like in 2016, Christie is looking to appeal to more traditionally conservative, establishment-friendly Republicans and hopes that he can emerge as a foil to Trump and also to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a rapidly growing field. Speaking of pronunciations, Mosh, we never talked about this. Did you catch that DeSantis said yes. DeSantis yes, I have, Jill. in his announcement. People have been pointing out that he's pronounced his own last name, DeSantis and DeSantis, uh, and asked a couple times how to actually pronounce his name. He says, you can call me winner. Uh, so he's not really explaining it. So uh, here on the pod, we've been calling him DeSantis, but if he keeps calling himself DeSantis, I guess we'll have to change that. Now, besides those two, some others have also already announced bids, and that includes former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Pence, who has filed paperwork to run, and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum are expected to join the crowd today. Yeah, starting to get a bit crowded. On the uh, stage, uh, we have a couple months before the first primary debate where you'll see them all uh, go at each other. Trump right now still TBD on whether he's going to join the group. He believes he should be above the fray at this point, though. Can he hold himself back from one of those debates? We shall see. As far as Chris Christie is concerned, uh, it struck me. I think the New York Times captured it well. For Christie, winning would be great. Beating Trump would be a close second. They describe it as as a long shot here and that, you know, his primary goal really is to take out Trump. And sure, uh, it'd be good to win as well. But he's really directing his aim, his fire as the guy who will literally, quote, tell it like it is um, and actually be critical of uh, former President Trump in a GOP field that uh, many of which have chosen to kind of skirt around him to a certain extent. And remember here, as we told you on the pod earlier this week, he was once a Trump ally here. He helmed Trump's transition team. He was a debate advisor. And then he was like, the guy's gone too far. He should not be president again. And so this is Christie's strategy here in getting in. It'll be interesting to see whether he can gain more traction this time, eight years after he ran the first time. Uh, but he's also a former U.S. attorney, and he says he's going to prosecute a case here against Trump being elected president again. He says that if the Republican Party makes him the nominee, they are guaranteed to lose against Biden. Look, Christie definitely has an axe to grind. While doing some research for this story, um, it is interesting. It's, this is not obviously the big reason that Christie and, and Trump have tension. But Christie thinks that he himself got COVID-19 from Donald Trump when they were practicing, they were doing these mock debates back in 2020, back when Christie was was an advisor to Trump. Right. You might remember Christie was hospitalized over that, but it goes far back, Jill. Chris Christie actually prosecuted Jared Kushner's father and put him in prison, Charles Kushner. So there's a lot. Uh, this relationship goes far back, the good, the bad, and the ugly here. So rest assured, the next few months here are going to be very interesting as Christie tries to insert himself into the conversation, which he's pretty, he does a pretty good job of. He knows how to play the media very well. So uh, be ready to hear more about uh, him, despite right now the fact that he's about one or two percent in the polls. 
All right, let's head overseas from the BBC. A follow-up to the story that we first told you about yesterday. Prince Harry has been facing a cross-examination in court in his case against the Mirror Group Newspapers, or MGN. He believes that journalists from the Daily Mirror, the Sunday Mirror, and the People exploited a security gap to access his voicemails and hear messages left by friends and family. As he entered the witness box, Harry's 55-page witness statement was published detailing the times when he says that journalists at the newspaper publisher used unlawful methods to gather information to generate stories about him, including phone hacking, MGN denying phone hacking in this case. Also want to quickly mention no cameras were allowed in court or else we would be bringing you some of that audio. Um, Here are those some key parts from his statement, which he is being challenged on in court by barristers, as they say over there, or attorneys, as we say over here. Okay, so Harry uh, wrote, In my experience as a member of the royal family, each of us gets cast into a specific role by the tabloid press. You're then either the playboy prince, the failure, the dropout, or in my case, the thicko, the cheat, the underage drinker, the irresponsible drug taker. The list goes on. He continues, as a teenager in my early 20s, I ended up feeling as though I was playing up to a lot of the headlines and stereotypes, mainly because I thought that if they are printing this rubbish about me and people were believing it, I may as well do the crime. Prince Harry says journalists would get information about his former girlfriend, Chelsea Davies, about her her flights to the UK to see him. And then he would just see paparazzi left and right at the airport. He says, I recall thinking, how on earth did they know that I was going to be there? But now it's obvious. So the publisher here, The Mirror, says that the princess provided no solid proof of phone hacking. Some of the articles in question were published before the prince even had a phone. Uh, Their attorneys argue. And they said, listen, we have a lot of sympathy for Prince Harry over uh, the press coverage. But it doesn't necessarily follow from that that it was a result of unlawful activity. As much as Prince Harry has hated the tabloid coverage, was anything actually illegal done here? And that's going to be at issue here in the case. Prince Harry, for his part, as you mentioned, Jill, you know, continues to say the tabloids would publish things that weren't right about me, interspersed with snippets of truth. Again, his criticism is the overall coverage. He's made it his agenda to try to fix the media. That's one of his goals here. Uh, as we told you, this is just one of several cases he has filed here. But again, the argument here is he has to prove that they actually hacked his voicemails. And so far, uh, the other side believes that he has not provided evidence uh, to show that. Okay, from CNBC, some stunning news in the world of sports. The PGA Tour has agreed to merge with the Saudi-backed rival Live Golf in a deal that would see the competitors squash pending litigation and move forward as a larger golf enterprise. The two entities signed an agreement that would combine the PGA Tours and Live Golf's commercial businesses and rights to a new, yet-to-be-named for-profit company, Live Golf. Backed by the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, it's an entity controlled by the Saudi Crown Prince. It has been embroiled in antitrust lawsuits with the PGA Tour in the last year. So this deal would basically end all pending litigation. Critics of Liv have accused the Saudis of sports washing by using the league to distract from the kingdom's history of human rights violations. Saudi Arabia prepared to invest billions of dollars uh, into this new entity. Yeah, if you've been watching golf in the past year, it has been outright war between PGA and Live here. Highly critical, the PGA threatening any players that went over to Live and Live offering 
so much money to get some of these players over. Phil Mickelson was paid $200 million. Dustin Johnson, $150 million. Brooks Kopka, $100 million. By the way, all those players now get to keep the money they took to go over to live and still play in the new league. So Phil Mickelson among those on Tuesday who are like, this is great. This is awesome. You know the expression, laughing all the way to the bank? That is actually what I am picturing of them going like, huh? <laughs> like yeah, like literally so laughing on the way to the bank. And I mean, there were reports that Liv was going to offer Tiger Woods upwards of a billion dollars to go leave the PGA and play for Liv. I wonder if Tiger's regretting that decision now. But he was <laughs> like, I'm going to stay loyal to the PGA. Either way, you know, you could argue this is a win for Liv here and the Saudis. By merging with the PDA, they have now officially gained a foothold um, in the larger tour, especially in the U.S., where they're trying to break through. Incidentally, interesting players here, Jill. The Trump family was a very early and eager partner of the Live saudi back series. Uh, they hosted, former President Trump hosted some Live tournaments, uh, and they took a victory lap, essentially, after the merger was announced. At the same time, you have a group of relatives uh, of people killed on 9-11 who issued a very blistering criticism of the merger, calling the tour and its commissioner at the PGA paid Saudi shills for agreeing to it. Um, either way, if you're a golf fan, nothing changes right away. The PGA Tour, Live Tour, DP World Tour, all expected to proceed as scheduled and separately through the end of the year. And then they have to figure out what this looks like into next year. Taking away the politics from it, a lot of golf fans are actually thrilled, though, because they say that the tournaments haven't been the same because you don't have all the yeah. best players playing against each other because they've been split between Liv and the PGA. Yeah, the, the fans are cheering. Uh, the players who uh, got huge checks are cheering that they get to continue. Uh, and then you have the investors and the people who are involved in this, like uh, the Trump family and others. Uh, who are cheering here. So there's a lot of people who are happy about this. Uh, either way, Jill, it was uh, quite a surprising headline to wake up to on Tuesday. Okay, here is a non-surprising headline. From USA Today, levels of carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere reached another record high last month. This is according to scientists from NOAA, who said that those levels continued, quote, a steady climb further into territory not seen for millions of years. The CO2 level measured in May in Hawaii averaged 424 parts per million, according to NOAA, which is three parts per million more than last year's May average and 51% higher than pre-industrial levels. NOAA's administrator saying that every year that we see carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere increase as a direct result of human activity, Every year, we see the impacts of climate change and heat waves, droughts, flooding, wildfires, and storms happening all around us. Yeah, remember that uh, climate change is literally climate change. So in some cases, you might get more rain. In some cases, you might get more heat. In some cases, you might get more drought. Uh, just more abnormality. You hear the expression a lot, one in a 100-year storms, one in a 1,000-year storms. And the fact that those become more common as CO2 continues to uh, populate the atmosphere. A reminder of how it contributes to global warming. The burning of fossil fuels like coal, oil, gas release greenhouse gases like CO2 and methane into the atmosphere and oceans. Uh, like other greenhouse gases, CO2 traps heat inside the planet that would otherwise escape into space. So that heat then amplifies extreme weather events. One meteorology professor explained it like this. Humans are running a massive experiment right now on Earth's climate system via burning carbon, and the results so far are not turning out great. Jill, I should say, uh, for those of you who are Mo News Premium members, we're going to be putting out a podcast tomorrow for World Ocean Day, 
Uh, it's my interview with Paul Nicklin and Christina Mittermeier. You might follow them on Instagram. Collectively, they have 10 million followers. They're award-winning photographers uh, and also conservationists now through their organization, Sea Legacy. I have an interview with them that'll go up on the Mo News Premium pod tomorrow. We talk about what they're seeing. They travel underwater in the Arctic, in the Antarctic. They're getting a firsthand perspective on how what we're doing is impacting things. In particular, right now, we're seeing the most impact in the poles and the oceans. Of course, the majority of Earth is the oceans. And they're very concerned about what we're seeing and say that uh, the time right now for us to turn things around and slow things down is starting to run out. Uh, by the way, we talk about a whole bunch of other things, including how they get up within a couple inches to take pictures of polar bears and whales and sharks. So it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, we also talk about some really interesting things and photography, etc. So uh, make sure to join Mo News Premium for that, mo.news slash premium to become a monthly or annual member. I also wanted to quickly mention Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he recently was saying that this idea of climate change, it needs kind of like a new PR spin because he was saying a that, rebrand. Yeah, a he rebrand. was saying it needs yeah. a rebrand. He told CBS Sunday morning, quote, as long as they keep talking about global climate change, they're not going to go anywhere because no one gives a blank about that. Um, so he says, let's go and rephrase this and communicate differently about it and really tell people we are talking about pollution. Pollution creates climate change and pollution kills. And it's funny because when I was reading about what he said, I was waiting for like some grand idea that he had about what we should call it. I wasn't expecting yeah. him to call it pollution. But pollution. I <laughs> we want to call it pollution, Jill. So he's actually a big uh, environmentalist. Uh, he was, despite being a member of the Republican Party in California, he was pushing them more towards environmental um, standards and climate change, etc. So they've already undergone a rebrand here, right? It was called global warming. But the people are like, well, it's not getting warmer here. And they're like, well, okay, right, one snowstorm and everyone's like, well, what do you mean? It's not warm. Where's global warming? Okay, fine. So they're like, fine. Let's be more nuanced about it. It's climate change. Things are changing. It's getting warmer here and colder here, rainier here, drier here, um, et cetera, et cetera. And he's saying, well, now climate change is so divisive, we might consider a new way to describe it to make people care about it. And, and you know, I, there was an interesting debate happening in the Mo News comment section on the Instagram account where people were having this discussion. You know, some are judging it, saying, come on, like, just accept it. And some people are saying, no. Unfortunately, when it comes to communications, sometimes you do need to rebrand or reframe things to get people to think about it differently. Staying with climate news, uh, much more acute right now. Millions of people in the eastern United States are facing unhealthy air quality conditions as smoke from wildfires in eastern Canada is wafting over much of the country. An air quality advisory was in effect for several regions of New York State on Tuesday. Air monitoring stations uh, in some parts of New York City on Tuesday afternoon showed measures that are considered unhealthy for anyone. Yeah, the mayor of New York City, Jill, actually put out a tweet, uh, put out a statement on Tuesday, warning uh, pregnant women, the elderly, people with asthma to stay indoors. Moshe, I hope your wife is listening to that. Um, Alex, stay oh, inside, yeah. please. <laughs> I told her, I was like, don't go outside unnecessarily. Let's uh, let's keep it indoors these next 48 hours. Uh, Mark, though, the second day of hazy skies across a big part of the country. Smoke blanketed the landscape from the Ohio Valley to as far south as the Carolinas. The spike in air pollution comes from the wildfires that have been raging in the Canadian provinces of Quebec and Nova Scotia. The especially dry air also bringing fire advisories to the northeastern states stretching to New Jersey, an area of about 8 million people. Canada is experiencing one of the worst starts to its wildfire season ever recorded. More than 6.7 million acres in the country have already burned 
in 2023. And uh, it is only early June, Mosh. Yeah, Jill, I was looking at, we posted some video yesterday uh, on the Instagram account of the uh, skies over Ottawa just orange uh, and smoke-filled. Uh, and I was getting notes from Mo News listeners uh, and readers uh, and consumers in uh, Canada saying that it, it is really uh, scary outside and they are staying indoors as much as possible. Air pollution from wildfire smoke has become a significant health risk in the U.S. and is growing worse. There was some research out of Stanford University that found that the number of people who experience at least one day with unhealthy air quality because of smoke has risen 27 times just over the last 10 years. And this does have a real impact. Exposure to this kind of pollution can cause inflammation, weaken the immune system, because these tiny particles penetrate the lungs, enter the bloodstream. Uh, The pollution can increase the risk of asthma, lung cancer, chronic lung diseases, as we mentioned, vulnerable groups like older people, pregnant women, infants, children, etc. And smoke exposure actually increases the risk of respiratory disease. They have been able to link increases in COVID-19 and flu when there is an increase in wildfire smoke. So this is a serious issue, folks. All right, switching gears from today.com. One mom's honest email signature is striking a chord with working parents across the country. Meg St. Esprit, who lives in Pittsburgh, says that she hit a breaking point one evening while she was looking up expensive camps and trying to interview babysitters for the summer. In that moment, she received what she describes as a, quote, snippy email from someone who was unhappy that she hadn't replied to their email in 24 hours. She says, I'm still good at my job. I'm still a professional. I'm also a mom of four kids, and this is reality in America. St. Esprit is a freelance journalist. She told NBC, quote, in the moment, I was like, this is how it's going to be. People are going to need to know that this is how it's going to be for the next couple of months. And she then created a new email signature that read, Please note, I may be slower to respond to email in the months of June, July, and August due to the United States' inability to provide affordable childcare for working mothers. So Jill, you mentioned she put up that email signature, but then she initially second-guessed herself. She said she worked with a lot of clients. She thought that maybe she should delete it. But then people started replying to her signature with notes like, side note, I love this, or side note, oh my gosh, this. So she then decided to post the email signature on Twitter where it blew up. She says it obviously hit a chord with so many mothers. She tells NBC, everyone is feeling this. Everyone wants to be able to know that if you're at the pool with your kids and you're planning to work until 11 p.m. that night to catch up, which is what I do, that you don't have to respond to that email right away. Right now, Jill, there's a recent poll that came out that shows that one in three working families say they struggle to find the childcare they need. St. Esprit has an 11-year-old, twin nine-year-olds, and a four-year-old. She says now that school has ended, she's going to do what she has always done, rely on her mom, babysitters when she can, work until midnight, meaning she will run on four or five hours of sleep for the next three months. Jill, the point Meg makes in her email signature that this is due to the fact that the U.S. government has an inability to provide for affordable childcare for working mothers is a serious issue. The U.S. offers significantly less money and aid to moms, to working moms, than most of Europe and the rest of the developed world. Um, And it does mean that childcare is much more expensive in this country, uh, not supported for the most part. Depending on where you are, your income bracket, you might get some assistance, but it's not anywhere near the assistance that uh, mothers get in other countries. And so she's trying to prove a point here, um, and she's certainly getting a lot of reaction for it. Mosh, oh, how this story resonates. As I record this podcast, I'm currently wearing workout pants and a sports bra that I put on at 6.30 this morning, thinking that somehow I would have time to work out, do work, and take care of my kids. I spent 
I'm not joking, well over three hours today, probably more, trying to figure out what my daughter is going to be doing in the two plus weeks in between school and day camp. And I realized that that makes me lucky because I'm actually sending her to a camp for the summer. Um, so that is childcare. But the moral of the story is, yes, we have a very, very serious problem here. And I think that being honest about it is the first step at fixing it. The only thing I will say is that I do wish that when we talked about this, we didn't just say working moms, that we also just called it working parents. Because I yeah. feel like the more we always just say working moms, working moms, we're normalizing this idea that it falls on moms. And I, I realize I'm extremely lucky because in my family, it's it's pretty, my husband and I share a lot of the, of the responsibilities. Um, but we all have a part, especially in the media, of talking about it a little bit differently and normalizing men and fathers being really active in taking care of their kids. Very important words there, Jill. Uh, and I, I know that I've, I've seen the reaction online already to this story. Um, and you do see uh, the conversation around um, more support for our working mothers, especially coming out of COVID and all the stuff that you've been thrown uh, the past couple of years, all working parents, moms, dads, um, all caretakers um, is significant. And it does seem like we're having a moment here where this is becoming a real conversation. We'll link to the uh, Today Show story in the show notes and look forward to continuing to have this conversation on this podcast. It's just so important. Get ready. You're, <laughs> you're going to be a working parent soon. I feel like you'll totally understand what we're talking about. Jill, between uh, each of our children, uh, God willing, uh, running in and interrupting the podcast, <laughs> we're, we'll be lucky if we get a couple out a week. <laughs> All right. Now time for On This Day in History on this June 7th. On this day in 1929, the Vatican City became an independent state. Uh, this was a treaty with the Italian government. It guaranteed political and territorial sovereignty for Vatican City. So if you've ever had the chance to visit the Vatican, you know that it's basically its own entity. You can send, it has its own post office, um, et cetera. And that's existed now for nearly 100 years. All right, fast forward to 1965. The landmark Griswold versus Connecticut Supreme Court decision came out on this day. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of a constitutional right of married persons to use birth control, effectively ruling for a right to privacy, saying there is no specific right to privacy in the Constitution, but they believe the founders intended it that way. It overturned the landmark ruling in 65, a Connecticut law against birth control, and that has now been the law of the land uh, for about 60 years now, Jill, though it was noted in the uh, Roe v. Wade decision last year that Clarence Thomas in his dissent said maybe we should revisit Griswold. There does not seem to be any other major judges who want to do that at this juncture. Clarence seems to be out on his own. But uh, you may have heard of Griswold recently because it came up again in that opinion last year. All right, a bit of pop culture news here. Today would have been Prince's 65th birthday, Jill. We should note, though, that he wasn't Prince in his latter years. In fact, he used one of his birthdays, June 7th, in the 90s to change his name from Prince to the symbol. And so he would then become, for the rest of his career, known as the artist formerly known as Prince, as he changed his name to that unpronounceable love symbol. <laughs> um, either way, uh, Prince, uh, an amazing musician, contributed so much while he was here and had that uh, tragic death of a couple of years ago. And finally, Jill, turning 40 years old today, Trading Places, uh, the film starring Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Mortimer, and Randolph Duke, I forget <laughs> the actors' names there, premiered in theaters this week in 1983. Um, every time I hear about orange prices, Jill, my mind immediately goes to that film. 
So this is one of my husband's absolute favorite movies. So he quotes it all the time. Um, It was the Dukes. It was the Dukes. I mean, now my daughter goes around saying that who's four and a half and she has no idea what it is from or what it even means. (laughs) And when I actually, when I got my first job covering business news on the floor of the stock exchange, a few traders were like, you need to watch trading places. You just to understand how this place works in some capacity. So that was when I first watched it. It's well done. And it's one of those movies that even with commercial breaks is worth watching. So if I'm hap- if I happen to be watching like live television and it's on like a TBS or a TNT or whatever, I will sit through those commercial breaks um, to get through uh, trading places. And then for those of you who've also seen Coming to America, uh, which came out a couple years later, also starring Eddie Murphy, you get the subtle references, the cameos, et cetera, the connection between the two films. We're back. <laughs> Mortimer is what's the line? Mortimer, we're back. Exactly. All right. We want to thank everybody for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Don't forget to head over to mo.news to go subscribe to the Mo Newsletter. Also coming out daily. Uh, good compliment to the podcast. Sometimes we go in depth on a completely separate issue, sometimes on an issue we cover on the pod. But go check out the daily newsletter. It's in your inbox every morning by 5 a.m. And while you're over at Mo.News, consider joining Mo News Premium, one way to support what we're doing here um, on the account, continuing to spread to more platforms and providing exclusive content. As I mentioned, you get an extra interview every week. You also get the podcast of the Mondays with Moj Q&A, where we answer your news questions, uh, available every Tuesday on the Premium Pod, exclusively over there. So appreciate all of you who have joined and consider joining. And Moj, you also get some behind the scenes about just how the sausage gets made, so to speak, on the Mo News Team Instagram account. Jill, I look forward to more sausage making from (laughs) Long Island on the uh, Instagram account in the coming days. I do need to do, I think, a little bit better. I I just forget, and I'm always just in sweats and not wearing makeup, so I never really want to do stuff. Even the last last story we did, you're like, look at me. It's 5 p.m. I intended to work out (laughs) 11 hours ago. Give people a taste of the action inside the household. Anyway, I'll be gone tomorrow. You will likely have a special guest with you, and then I hope to see everyone back here on Friday. Yes. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.